conversations my wife and I have had several times in our marriage, and if you're married, you've probably had it with your spouse, probably had it at least with one of your parents, but it's a a discussion about whether or not we should buy something, whether or not we should purchase. And the first question, the most practical question, is what? How much does it cost? It is the most practical question. And while there are things in life that we have to pay, no matter how much they cost, if we're free to make the decision, how much something costs is probably the first and biggest consideration, wouldn't you say? Now, Jesus uses the same language about following him. He tells people they must count the cost. And he gives this example of if a man decides he wants to build an addition to his house, but can't finish it because he runs out of money, that is a man who has acted foolishly. Now, the book of Hebrews has a very clear theme to it. Jesus is better. It's just that simple. Whether we're talking about angels at the beginning of the book, the book says Jesus is better than angels. Whether you have the entire Old Testament memorized, the the author of the book says, well, Jesus is better than all of the Old Testament. Or maybe you think of a hero that you learned about in Sunday school. The book of Hebrews would say to you, well, that's great, but Jesus is better. The application of that argument is also pretty clear. There's often a high price for following Jesus. And because Jesus is better, the expectation is that his people will be ready to pay that price. And that's where we are in Hebrews 11. The readiness to pay the price for following Jesus. And that is used as the very definition of what it means to live or act or think by faith. You see, this group of Christians in the book of Hebrews were being asked to pay the price in a very troubling time. Property, safety, even some of the necessities of life were at risk. But as the author will point out in chapter 10, verse 38, faith, doing things by faith, thinking by faith, is the only path to getting to doing the right thing. And he reminds us in chapter 11, verse 6, that it is going or living by faith as being the only way we're ever going to please God. And this is still true. Jesus, of course, is still better. There's still today, even and often, a high price for following him. And as Christians, it is when we live by faith, when we are ready to pay the cost, that is when we will think and that is when we will act rightly about the issues and troubles of our day. Or as we've been putting it, the politics and the political issues of our day. Only by faith. Will we think rightly? And from our text this morning, let me show you why that is the case. Number one. Number one, by faith, God acts on the behalf of his people. By faith, God acts on behalf of his people. I want you to notice verses 29 to 34, that the author pulls our attention to these numerous accounts in the Bible where we meet people who were willing to pay the price acted on faith, and the result was deliverance. 
Or if I could put it another way, these are all people who were willing to pay the price, but God actually delivered them from having to pay it. Look at some of the examples. In verse 29, we have a reference to the generation that came out of Egypt. The text implies here that the cost of stepping out onto the Red Sea was the, the cost of possibly losing your life. The act of stepping on the dry land between these two walls of water was an act of faith. In verse 30, we have the example of the cost of being defeated. The army of Israel went to Jericho to win. And the implication of the text is that it took faith to follow God's plan to arrive at the point of victory. The act of marching around the city was something done by faith. Then we come to Rahab. She might be the surprise in this group. The Bible is going to put to us a prostitute as an example of someone who was ready to pay the cost. In her case, it was the cost of being wrong. You see, she hid the spies and she guided them to rescue because she believed that God was going to keep his promise to Israel and give them her land. And from there, we see uh, both specific and non-specific accounts of deliverance by faith. And each example includes, if you know those stories, some risk or some cost. In the face of the cost of defeat, men conquered uh, kingdoms. They obtained justice. They stopped injustice. They escaped from persecution. Some of them, by faith, became supernaturally strong. Some of them made whole armies run for their lives. And at the beginning of verse 35, we're told that even in the face of willing to pay the cost, some even saw the dead raised to life. The intention of the author here is pretty clear. These are all supposed to be examples of flawed people facing extraordinary moments in time and then displaying remarkable faith. That's the testimony, the witness being set forth. And we see God using these remarkable displays of faith to act. And in some cases, it results in completely supernatural acts. In other cases, God uses normal means to bring about his divine plan. You see, there's no doubt what the Bible's telling us here. The Bible's telling us that God uses faith. Now, to be clear, that's not saying the same thing as saying that God is limited by faith. I want you to think of it this way. God loves to use the prayers of a mother or a grandmother for a sick child. He loves to use those prayers and act on the behalf of the child, responding to your faith. But that's not the same as saying that how much a mom or grandma puts into her prayers becomes the deciding factor on whether or not God will act. And with that clarified, what's easy to see here is the author saying to us, if we want to see God act in supernatural ways, or if we want to see God use us to accomplish his will through even the most normal means, faith is how that happens. Now, what is also clear, and some of you have heard me say this in private conversation, and that it is not faith until there is a potential of uncomfortable cost. It is not faith until you are willing to pay that cost. And so, for example, it is not faith, you are not acting in faith, you are not acting by faith, to post a culturally unpopular opinion on social media. That's not an act of faith. 
And the reason it's not the act of faith, because the cost of getting unfriended or censored or banned from social media is not an uncomfortable cost. What we're talking about, what the author, what the Bible's talking about here, are things that should make us nervous. Like giant walls of water collapsing in on you at any moment kind of nervous. We are talking about real risk. But that doesn't always mean we're talking about big things. Start with something little. For example, pick up the phone. Don't text, you young people. Pick up the phone to encourage someone and do it at the risk of being unhelpful or sounding dumb. You might be surprised that one of those times the Holy Spirit supernaturally fills your mouth. And you'll hang up the phone going, what did I just say? Or come by the church, do so the work at the cost of a Saturday. That would be a very non-supernatural way God could use you to encourage an older member of this church. But there are going to be big things. We can't help our community without the risk of money being wasted. We can't help our community without the risk of property being damaged or perhaps even being embarrassed because we got used. It will be absolutely impossible to continue to minister as God has commanded without facing the cost of getting COVID-19. Whether it's holding regular services, observing communion, or having kids ministry in this moment in time, And with everything being prudent and as flexible and creative as we can be, the most important thing we must see is that we must be ready to pay the cost. We can't be the ones, Christians cannot be the ones to draw back in the moment. And if we want to see God do supernatural things, for example, at Awana, we want to see those 50 kids and a little more, we must be ready to pay the cost. And if we want to see God use our church in normal events like weddings and funeral services, the same holds true. We must be willing to pay the cost. Number two. Number two, by faith, God sustains the faith of his people. By faith, God sustains the faith of his people. It's easy to notice here at the second part of verse 35, the direction of the text Or the author changes tactics. We go from a list of God doing amazing things in response to the faith of his people to a list of men and women who died by faith. By faith, some stood up against tyranny and they were tortured. The text tells us they chose faith over deliverance. The idea there probably means they were offered their freedom in exchange for denying the cause. But for them... They were working for a better resurrection. Continuing on the same thing here, the text tells us, by faith, others had to walk or had to persevere through phony trials, unjust beatings, false imprisonment. You see, this was not the end for them because many of them, uh, many of the same of them, had their death come by stoning. Others were cut in half. Others were simply executed. Now, I want to point out to you here, these things are implied in the text as being done by the state or being done by those in power. The context here provides the concept of uh, of holy war. The Bible defines holy war as being when the people of God are fighting for the right thing 
while at the same time being vastly outnumbered and weak. And in these cases, these individuals went to holy war, and by all outward appearance, the enemy won. But the text then moves forward from those who died by the hand of the state to those who had to live by faith in poverty. By faith, they lived without a place to call home. By faith, they lived being mocked by society. They lived being harassed by their neighbors. They chose to identify with God, refusing to be children of the world. But I want you to draw your uh, your attention to verse 38, this phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. First, the idea there is is a contrast. The world mocks and harasses those who live by faith, calling them outcasts, unwanted, not worthy to live. But God looks at them and says, no, world, you are unworthy to have them. So we have this contrast and opinion between the world and God. But there's a second thing, because the statement means under these conditions that the lives of those who lived by faith and still saw the stoning, who were still uh, sawn in half, who, who were still living in poverty, they by faith still contributed something of value. Something God is saying that the world was unworthy to have. So the Bible gives us this list of people who were ready to face the cost, and they ended up paying it. There was no deliverance, but they made the choice. Under ever-increasing difficulty, they chose to believe the promises of God. And what it speaks to is that while God did not use their faith to deliver them, he used their faith to sustain them. He gave them the strength to continue doing what pleases him. Let me ask you this question. How many times have you walked into a situation knowing what the right thing to do is? Now, of course, when we walk into situations like that, our hope is that that when we do the right thing, something good will happen. Perhaps we desire some supernatural change. Let me ask you, how did you respond the last time it didn't? This is a big point that I make in marriage counseling. If you're doing the right thing to change your spouse, or you're doing the right thing and hope that God will change your spouse, you will eventually give up doing the right thing. However, if you're doing the right thing for the purpose of pleasing God, then whether deliverance or change comes doesn't matter. Your motivation is to please God. And with that motivation comes the promise that God will sustain you. This is also a very important principle in troubled times. You see, sometimes I sit and think, how will my children remember these days? What will they remember about mom and dad and how they acted? Now, my hope is, is if they're talking to other people raised during this time, that those kids are going to talk about madness and my kids will talk about sanity. Riot upon riot, conspiracy upon conspiracy, election poll upon election poll, COVID alert upon COVID alert. You know what? Mom and dad kept their heads. And if they ever ask me how, I will hopefully be able to say, because it was more about pleasing God. And as long as I focused on pleasing God, no matter what happened, God sustained me. And if we as a church can say that, we will have a legacy just as valuable as one where God used us to raise the dead. Number three. By faith, 
God satisfies the biggest needs of his people. By faith, God satisfies the biggest needs of his people. Verse 39 starts with the phrase, these all. So what we're hearing is a concluding statement about everyone mentioned since verse 4. Having obtained a good report, received not the promise. The idea here is these people who lived by faith only received these small and limited glimpses of the fulfillment of God's promises. And so we're supposed to go back and we're supposed to think about Moses. And we think about all the things that Moses saw God do. And you begin to realize the Bible is saying that what Moses saw was small and limited. You go back to the story of Jericho and you're going to realize the people who saw what God did there only saw something that was small and limited. All these people we just read about, the conquered nations, who closed the mouths of lions, who raised the dead, they all just got a glimpse. The people who were mocked, chased, ridiculed, killed, but remained faithful because God sustained them, they too only saw a glimpse. The point the author is trying to make here will reach its climax in chapter 12. All of these people and their testimonies are watching us. They want to see what we will do. And the thing is, the interest comes from the fact that we have the gospel. We have the death of Christ. We have his resurrection. We have the whole picture. We have Christ. We have bigger, greater views of the promises of God. And that brings us to verse 40 in this phrase, that they without us should not be made perfect. Let me try my best to explain it right before lunch using the image of food. If you go to a place like Olive Garden, you're going to sit down and typically get a drink and some free breadsticks upon being seated. So what I want you to think about is all these Old Testament saints going to Olive Garden and sitting down and not being allowed to order until us, the New Testament saints, show up. These Old Testament saints were left to sit there and drink their peach tea and eat their breadsticks and wait. No main course, no soup, no big salad. The text says, is all they got were these small glimpses, little bites of God's promises. Because God was not going to serve the main course until we got there. They didn't get to eat before us. But now, because Christ's blood has been shed, because he's been raised from the dead, we're all here. So now they're all satisfied because they get to feast on Christ. And every believer today is satisfied because we get to feast on Christ. And so all the saints of God, living and dead, have satisfaction through Christ, having this perfect, unmitigated fellowship with God. So whether by faith God delivers or by faith God sustains, all of God's people get to end their days with their bellies full. And they end their days with their bellies full because of Christ. Now, there are two applications the Bible is trying to make here. Number one, what God did through Jesus Christ is evidence that all those who made the choice to believe this promise-making and promise-keeping God made a good choice. Abel made a good choice, even though it got him killed. Moses made a good choice, even though it cost him the riches of Egypt. Joshua made a good choice, not because the walls fell, but because Jesus died and rose again. So the first application the Bible is making is this. We, the New Testament saints, we have all the evidence we need to make good choices and to make the good choice 
of believing the promise-making and promise-keeping God. But there's another application here, and that is living by faith or believing God, being ready to pay the cost, is the only place to find life satisfaction. There is nowhere else to go that you will find life to be fuller, better, more satisfying. Yes, maybe if you walk away from Jesus, you won't go to jail, but your life is going to be pretty empty as you walk around with your freedom in the farmer's market. Yes, maybe you get to keep your couch and your Nike polo, but life is going to be pretty empty eating Cheetos and watching golf. And for us today who've put our faith in Christ, We face the trouble of our times with the foundation of satisfaction. What does the old adage say? Never go shopping before lunch. Go after. Because you know what? When you go shopping after lunch, you're going to make a lot better choices. We come from the position of satisfaction, which should lead to us making a lot better choices. We don't need any politician to win in November. We don't need to know everything. We don't need to have, we don't need to correct everyone who's wrong on social media. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fear because we have in Christ the spiritual food that satisfies. And that should change the way we think, the way we act in this very physical world. Jesus is better. And living by faith is how we are going to affirm that truth to the world around us. Faith is what's going to lead us to doing the right thing. Faith is what's going to lead us to pleasing God. Faith is saying, I'm ready to pay whatever cost that comes with following Jesus. It's by faith we will see the miraculous. By faith we will see God use us in the ordinary. It is by faith that God sustains when his providence says we must pay the cost. And even then, great things will be accomplished. By faith is how we know the satisfaction of God. When we put our faith in Christ, we're given this permanent, perfect, and personal, eternal relationship with God. It is in only by faith that we will navigate the troubles of this world in a way that will spread the life-giving grace of God. And it will be the only way we will truly live. Let's pray. Father, by faith, Whether, Lord, that results in some great and marvelous work by you, or, Father, whether it just simply results in us having the patience to go through trial. By faith, Father, this is how we will know your satisfaction. But I just pray, Father, that it is by faith we will interact with the troubles of this world. By faith, we will make our choices. By faith, we will really live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.